And well, this year, I, I hope to introduce you uh, to the Sovereign Grace region that we're a part of in the Southeast. These, uh, I go to conferences, and I get to hang around with pastors who are pastoring churches all through the Southeast. And these are men who I admire, and they love the Lord, and they labor for Jesus in their local context. Uh, and so to start that, I've invited Russell Tusing, who is from LaGrange, Georgia, about an hour and a half south of Atlanta, about that. Uh, I knew of LaGrange because we used to drive through it when we went to visit Katie and Evan when they lived in North Carolina. So when I met Russell LaGrange, it's like, oh, I know exactly where that is. Uh, weirdly enough, Sean Englert went to LaGrange College. Just like New Orleans, everything meshes. Everything does that. Uh, but I've asked Russell to help us in our pursuit of God in this series, uh, and I know we will be blessed. So, Russell, come on up. Let's invite Russell as he comes to bring the word. Am I wearing this? Well, thanks, brother. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you, Christ community. It was a blessing to be here singing to our Lord together with you. Musicians are wonderful, and musicians, you did a wonderful job leading us musically, but being able to hear the saints of God, those saved by Christ, elevating their voices, the glory of our Lord, was a blessing. I bring with you greetings. I bring with me greetings from Sovereign Grace Church of LaGrange. We were a church adoption right around 2015, and one of the things that attracted us to Sovereign Grace Churches was the community dynamic and culture, the commitment to truth, God's word, and the centrality of Jesus Christ above all. It's been a blessing to be a part of Sovereign Grace Churches these few years that we've been a part of Sovereign Grace Churches. During the adoption process, which for us was the second longest process apart from Lakeview, sister church to south of here, um, they got us leaps and bounds. Apart from one occasion, there was never anything that detracted from our interest in pursuing adoption with Sovereign Grace. There was that one occasion, Jeff, where I received an invitation to a pastor's retreat at Camp Weed, an Episcopalian retreat that began to raise my, bring me to raise my eyebrows. Um, apart from that, <laughs> and not really. Actually, that's where I met Jeff for the first time, I believe, more or less. And if you recall, I referred to you as Keith a couple of times. And yet your pastor still voted to approve our adoption a few years later. Uh, so thank you for mercy. <laughs> I felt so horrible when you corrected me too. I was like, oh my gosh. That's one of my biggest weaknesses is names. As a pastor, that's a huge bugaboo. But uh, somehow the Lord allows me to get through it. Again, I'm just blessed to be here with you. And my hope and prayer is that our Lord will minister to you through his word and by his spirit. So I invite you to look with me. Hebrews, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 or tap on your devices. We're going to be in two verses this morning together. As we consider running while looking. Hebrews is a rich letter that really is centering the people's faith or recentering rather the people's faith upon Christ, as we'll see this morning. But as Christianity began to spread 
throughout the Roman Empire, everything began changing. Christianity was spreading like a brush fire. Icons began to be introduced where the image of Christ began to surface here, there, and everywhere. Just the image of Christ was being put onto things, and people had trinkets and objects of adoration, so to speak, to remind them of Jesus Christ. And this eventually turned into a controversy, but one of the things that didn't change was the coinage, right away at least. 350 years later, Emperor Justinian II changed the image on the coinage. It had always been a Caesar. It had always been an emperor. He changes the coinage to an image of Christ. Not long after, in the Eastern Empire, Emperor John I mass-produced coinage with the image of Christ emblazed upon it. Why is that significant? They wanted to see Jesus everywhere. Jesus in the marketplace. Jesus in their pockets. Jesus in their homes. Jesus in their communities. Jesus on their currency. They were fixated upon Christ. Looking to Jesus, fixating our gaze upon Christ, is what the writer of Hebrews is drawing our faith, drawing your faith, to when exhorting us to run the race that is set before us, looking to who? Jesus. The audience of this letter, unfortunately, were looking elsewhere, which is why the writer of Hebrews is writing it, to recenter their gaze, to reinfix their attention upon Jesus and to look for him. They had gotten distracted with angel worship, Elements of mysticism and Gnosticism. They were looking back to the glory days of temple worship, Jewish temple worship. And they were fixating their gaze upon the difficult circumstances that they were entrenched in. We too have a race set before us. We've been living in strange days, last couple of years in particular. Good number of circumstances, ordeals, conflicts, tensions in the world around us that just beset us and, you know, blur our vision and bring us to be looking horizontally rather than vertically, so to speak. Just as they had a race set before them, we have a race set before us, as we'll see this morning. A race that God's word Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 brings us to, to be looking for someone and to someone, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2 uniquely reminds us faith looks to Jesus as we are running and pursuing God. And that's our main thought from our verses this morning. Allow me to pray and ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word, the hearing of his word, the preaching of his word and the receiving of his word. Lord Jesus, as we've sung together this morning, you are the object of our faith. It is in you, for you, and through you that all things hold together. You are our all in all. You are the Lord and Savior of our lives. You are the sustainer and upholder of creation, being the proprietor of all creation. 
And Lord, we need to see you. As we're running our races, Lord, we need to be looking for you as we're running. We need to be pursuing you, Lord God, as we're running. So help our faith this morning. Help us wrap our minds, our hearts, our faith around what it looks like to be running while looking. To you, Lord Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus I do pray, Father. Amen. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Firstly, this morning, faith pursues God. Our verses and the whole of chapter 12 actually serve as a capstone to chapters 10 and 11, where faith is being encouraged and strengthened. Faith is key, Christ's community. Faith is key to our verses. As these verses... Chapters 12, 1 through 2 connect us more immediately to the figures interspersed throughout chapter 11 whose lives are characterized by, you know what? Faith. That's the therefore. It's connecting us with the cloud of witnesses written about in chapter 11. The figures in chapter 11 are the cloud of witnesses the Hebrews being written to here are surrounded by. Not to mention Christ's community. The cloud of witnesses you're surrounded by. cloud of witnesses we're surrounded by. We need to be surrounded by people of faith. We need folk of faith encouraging us, strengthening us, motivating us to not lose sight. Remember Christ when Peter was struggling with sin and temptation? He says, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. We need people around us of the faith, to encourage us forward, to move us onward, to help us continue fighting the good fight of faith. We need to be surrounded by people. We need to find ourselves in settings like the Wednesday men's group where faith is being strengthened, where iron is sharpening iron. That's crucial to the Christian faith. That's crucial for our maturation in the Christian faith. We need people who, like earlier in Hebrews, will be there with us to say, we're not of those who, sh- who shrink back. We don't shrink back during difficult times or uncertain times. We, we push forward by faith. Faith is such an emphasis in chapter 11 that it's referred to 25 times. It's referred to in reference to many we're familiar with. Noah. Abraham, Sarah, Moses. But faith is also characterizing the lesser known figures of chapter 11, like Barak. No, that's not a video game guy. Jephthah and Rahab. Just th- those aren't the more common names. And why do I say that? Because faith isn't some exclusive right offered to some privileged company or echelon of the social elite. 
Faith is at work among sinners of all kinds and all backgrounds who believe on Christ. It's easy. It's easy to come to idealizing the so-called faith of chapter 11, the personalities at least in that chapter. The cloud of witnesses we're surrounded by. When you think about it, Noah engineered a pretty large boat campaign, didn't he? Abraham left everything in Ur, a flourishing metropolis, to make his way to a so-called land of promise. What faith, right? Sarah, in her old age, received power to conceive of a child. What faith? David, described as a man after God's own heart, bringing about a golden age among God's people. Man, that's faith, isn't it? That, that, that's a stalwart, robust faith, right? Faith in God brings you into that company. Brings us, we, into that same company, you and me. We're surrounded, as the writer acknowledges, by this company of believer, believers, including himself. The faith that resonates in you, the faith that resonates in us, is the same faith that resonated in them. Their faith isn't better than yours. Their faith isn't better than ours. It's the same faith. So we're trusting in the same Lord, worshiping the same God, pursuing the same God. This is difficult to conceptualize, though, isn't it? You mean my faith's comparable to David's, to Moses's? That's, that's difficult to imagine, isn't it? But when their backstories are brought to mind, it isn't so much. The same Noah, as the flood recedes, comes a bit discombobulated and attempts to start a nudist colony. Remember, he was discovered nude in a tent. Not a pretty scene. David, as you will probably recall, seduces another man's wife and plots her husband's death. Moses publicly and egregiously disobeys God's word before the community of the Hebrews. Abraham and Sarah for all of their faith, acted apart from obedience to and trust in God by trying to force the promise themselves. Even in the face of substantial sin, Christ's community, these legends had blemished records. The hall of faith is imperfect. However, What's remembered of them in chapter 11, what's remembered by God and preserved for us in chapter 11 about the hall of faith, isn't their sins. It's their faith. A faith that is remembered in a certain way. You know, faith isn't really defined in the Bible. Without faith, without faith we cannot please God, by the way. Hebrews reminds us. Faith isn't really defined in the Bible. Earlier in Hebrews, it does say, you know, faith is the you know, evidence of things not seen. Um, but that's not really a definition. 
It's just, just describing something that's at work. It's emotion. In chapter 11, we're, giving, we're given the motion of faith and what it pursues. It offers to God worship. Faith is lived in chapter 11 in a way that brought Enoch to have pleased God. Faith brought Abraham to obey the Lord God to sacrifice his only child. Faith emboldened and enlivened Moses, as recounted in verse, verse 27 of chapter 11, to leave everything behind him in Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the Pharaoh or the king, for he endured as seeing him, the Lord God, who was invisible. Faith isn't about status, it's about pursuit. It's a faith we all have, just as David pursued the Lord God, just as Moses pursued the Lord God, just as Sarah and Abraham. Faith isn't about status, it's about pursuit. It's not about a sinful condition or situation, it's about our worshipful position. Hebrews eleven six reminds us, without faith, listen to this language, without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is about drawing near to God. Faith brings us to pursue God, to worship God, to know him, to fight through our races with him and for his glory. To enjoy his company when we find ourselves in whatever scenarios in life and with whatever company in life. Faith brings us to pursue God. It's emotion. But that being said, sin often leaves our running shoes untied, doesn't it? Leaving us to be tripped up during the race. Just like with the hall of faith. So as verse 1 proceeds to exhort us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Even as we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Secondly, faith endures the race. Faith endures the race. The author of Hebrews is well aware. Well aware of how those in chapter 11 tripped up in the race themselves. This is why he writes, let us also lay aside. He realized David, Moses, and the like laid aside as well as they were pursuing God by faith. Just as sin brought those in the hall of faith to be tripped up, sin presents obstacles or hurdles as we are running the race too, doesn't it? I mean, we stumble into sin from time to time, a bout of anger, misplaced judgment, hateful rhetoric, disengaging, from the worship of God even. We stumble into sin from time to time. We get tripped up, don't we? Faith brings us to pull ourselves up again. To tie our shoes and to resume the race. Faith produces endurance within you to continue running the race that is set before you. Christ's community. Personally, in your own homes and households and in the marketplace and corporately as a local church existing for the praise of God's glory. 
Maybe you remember the words of Paul. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. In a world that's incredibly distracting, that's imperative for us. That's huge for us to take hold of the eternal life to which we've been called as we're running the race that is set before us. As sin occasionally trips us up. I like what A.W. Tozer said. While we're looking, we do not see ourselves, and he's referring to looking to Christ. While we're looking, we don't see ourselves, blessed riddance. The man who has struggled to purify himself and has had nothing but repeated failures will experience will relief, will real relief rather, when he stops tinkering with his soul or her soul and looks away to the perfect one. It's not in fixing our souls that we're able to endure the race that is set before us. It's in looking by faith to the one who is the repairer of souls, the strengthener of our souls, the encourager of our souls, the uplifter of our souls. I mean, I think upon David. His sins were quite horrendous, church. However, upon the prophet Samuel, helping him to recognize his sin, you know what he does? He draws near to God. And you know what he cries out to the Lord God for? In Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Remember not my sins. Blot out my transgressions. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. When we endure this race, even when we're tripped up by sin, as we're pursuing him, as we're looking to him. Having confessed his sins, David continued enduring the race, didn't he? For the 40 years he reigned as king until his death, he endured the race. The particular race God called him to endure, personally, himself. His race was his race, though. Last I checked, I don't imagine any of us in here are kings. His race was his race. Moses' race was Moses' race. Rahab's was Rahab's. Ours is ours. Your race is your race. I ran track in high school. I ran mid-distance. There are a variety of races in track. I ran the four and the 800. That requires a different conditioning than the mile or the 100 or the hurdles. Every person's individual race that they have been called to, based upon the race that is set before them, involves the unique conditioning of that individual race. It's in looking to God that you find that endurance, that ability to endure the race that is set before you. It's in pursuing him and knowing that he is with you and knowing that he is there present beside you. What does your race involve? Maybe your race involves parenting. Maybe your race involves grandparenting. Maybe your race involves being a single parent. Perhaps your race encompasses physical ailments. Managing a business. 
Maybe your race involves being a homemaker and homeschooling. Maybe your race involves juggling busy schedules. Regardless of what your race entails, Christ's community, as you're pursuing God by faith, you'll be running with endurance. Now, it's also likely like that this laying aside every weight and sin which so closely clings also touches on the experiences of sin in general, not just merely personal sins, right? We live in a fallen world, don't we? We can be affected by the sin of living in a fallen world. We can be traumatized by the conflict others introduce into our lives. Even with David, we know this to be true. Apart from his heinous sins, right? We have the Psalms, a collection of poetry that describe the unique experiences of David as he's experiencing the full range of the human drama that he doesn't introduce into his own experience, but that others introduce into his experience. Challenges, conflict, sadness, depression, stress, sorrow, pride, anger, complacency, injustice, sickness, sleeplessness, threats from his own children, so forth and so on. I'm not familiar entirely with what race you're running, but again, whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're enduring, whatever you're working through, whatever your race entails, however many hurdles you have before you that stand between you and the finish line, whatever they are, as you're pursuing God, you will be enduring that race. And even if you get tripped up, as you continue pursuing God, you will reach that finish line. And you will endure. But you're only going to endure as your faith is looking to Jesus, verse 2, the founder and perfecter of your faith. Finally, faith looks to Jesus. You're able to endure as you're fixating your gaze upon our Lord and Savior. You know the word looking here? It means attentively consider in the original language. Much like Emperor Justinian actively considered removing the image of Caesar from the coinage and emblazoned Christ's image onto them, you and I are to be actively considering Jesus as we're running our races. Jesus himself, actively considering or looking to Jesus in two areas, as verse 2 touches on. Did anyone's parents, as a child, ever tell you to look both ways before crossing the street? Do you remember when Christ called us to have the faith of a child in the Gospels? We'll be looking to Christ in two ways as we're running the race, as we're moving forward. Firstly, we look to Jesus to sustain our faith. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, we're told here. The author and finisher, maybe your translation reads. This isn't referring to Jesus being an exemplar of our faith that we follow and emulate. Rather, it's drawing us to look to Jesus 
as the provider of and sustainer of our faith. Faith is a gift, Ephesians 2, given to us by Christ. He's also the sustainer of that very faith he gives us. We're not kept alive by our own strength, by our own wits, by faith. We're kept alive by Christ Jesus. Our faith is nourished. Our faith is strengthened. Our faith is empowered and enabled to continue running this race as we're looking to Christ, not as we're looking to our faith. Our faith isn't the object of our faith, church. Jesus is the object of our faith. The one who overcame sin and death. The one who was raised from the grave three days later and ascended into the heavenlies where he's preparing a room for us. He is the one who authors and finishes your faith. The efficacy of your faith doesn't rest with you. We don't have the power to keep it together. We don't have the strength to keep it, keep it together. The moment we rely upon our own strength is the moment we're utterly unable. Faith to endure and faith to receive and know the power to endure is only found in Jesus. Our endurance only comes about as we are actively considering him. Who, as we see in verse 2, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. You know, everywhere throughout Scripture, this is where our gaze is to be fixated. First Peter, we endure difficulty and injustice. Why? Because Jesus did. First Peter, we endure being mocked and derided. Why? Because Jesus did. In Hebrews 2.18, we're empowered to overcome temptation because Jesus suffered when tempted. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, we are able to draw near to the throne of grace for help during our races because Jesus is there and he is sympathetic. And so we look to Jesus by faith. As we're looking to Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, we come to have great confidence in finishing the race. Why? Because he finished. Because he's enjoying the reward of having finished that race himself. The word perfecter of our faith there literally means to make complete. John reminds us in his epistle, we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. He's going to return and complete your faith, Christ community. He's completing it even now in strange days and in strange times with lockdowns, with mask wearing, with COVID, with Omicron, with flu, with it being 30 in Louisiana in January. Uh, He's completing your faith when you're losing a job, when you're not getting the promotion that you had hoped for, when your children aren't responding to the faith as you had prayed so ceaselessly for. He's completing your faith among it all. He's working it out wonderfully. Secondly, we also look to Jesus for joy throughout our races. Not just to know that he's at work among it all, completing our faith 
as the author and finisher of our faith, but we look to him for joy throughout our races. Because this world easily tamps down our joy, doesn't it? When we get bogged down by the day-to-day, the week-to-week. Looking to Jesus at the beginning of verse 2 grammatically connects to this final sentence. Jesus endured the race set before him. Why? Because of the joy of being seated at the right hand of God. He knew the joys of being in the Father's immediate presence before all of creation, prior to his incarnation. He surrendered it to take upon himself the form of a servant and die in our place. He knew very well the joy that awaited him upon his resurrection and ascension. And this motivated him, this joy that was set before him of being crowned with glory and honor and righteousness and and to be resuming, being in that position in heavenly places in the immediate presence of his father, surrounded by a feastal gathering of angels celebrating his name. That joy is yours, but it's only yours as you're looking to Jesus. Something better awaits us as we look to Jesus. Just as he endured as he was running the race, we endure as we're running our races, as we're looking to Jesus. Pursue God by faith. Endure the race by faith. Look to Jesus by faith. I'd ask you to close your eyes for a closing illustration do you see Jesus he's not here in the seats with us is he he's in heavenly places but the spirit unites us we're told with Christ in heavenly places when you pray do you pray looking to Jesus and I mean really looking to Jesus beholding him at the right hand of the father Envision him, Jesus, who lived a sinless life for our salvation, who is crucified on the cross, suffered the judgment of God, endured the shame, gave up his breath and was buried and was raised three days later, ascended into the heavenlies. That's where he's at. And listen to how he's described. Between the throne and the four living creatures, And among the elders, I saw a lamb, a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. That is Jesus Christ, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of. Of the saints. Where are you needing to see Jesus? Where are you needing to endure? Look to him. Because the angels that are described there. Are taking your very prayers. Into his immediate presence right now. So when you pray. Envision Jesus. Actually and really. In heavenly places. Receiving. The prayers the angels are offering him on your behalf. When you worship on Sunday, look to Jesus, envision him in heavenly places, 
Hebrews reminds us where there's myriads of angels worshiping him. That's who we're gathering with. That's the company that we're surrounded by, Christ's community. Allow me to pray. Lord Jesus, we, we all have our races to run, just as you did. And you know it very well. You're able to sympathize with us, having experienced the same temptations as we do, although without sin. You know our experiences. You know, Lord, when we get tripped up from pursuing you, Lord God, from running the race as we ought. You know when we get tripped up from looking to you, Jesus. And yet you don't cast us aside. You welcome us and you encourage us to continue running our races. And you encourage us to continue looking to you, Lord Jesus. So I pray for Christ's community as they're on mission together, ministering to children, discipling one another, involved, encouraging, and strengthening the faith in one another's lives. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they will be strengthened to look to you in all things. And that as they are, they're brought to endure and to know a refreshed experience in the new joys that come with looking to you, Lord Jesus. Because you yourself said that you came to give us the fullness of your joy. I pray for that joy here at Christ Community, Lord, among the members, among the families, among the singles, among the parents, among the children, among the grandparents, Lord, among everyone here. I pray for that joy. And I pray for that joy going out into the work week. That that joy would fill their lives as they're looking to you. And that you would empower and embolden them, Lord, to cast every weight that would keep them from looking to you away from them. In the name of Jesus, I do pray. Amen. A lot of, lot of things we can take away. Thank you, Russell. Um, just as a, a just am, am thinking of you know the angels that are surrounding the throne are dressed in in festive robes. Heaven is a party. It's raucous and it's loud. And the enemy of our souls wants to remind us and try to convince us that we are more disconnected to that than we are connected to it. And so for the joy that is set before Christ, he was returning home to that environment. And he, he saw what his inheritance would be in us being collected into that environment as well. So when we're looking to Jesus, we're looking to his joy the Father's joy and the Spirit's joy into connecting us into that party. Because listen, we are more aware of what we think we have to do for God in faith rather than what he has done for us that we trust by faith. So we trust him and he loves you. He loves you and he's happy with you. You make him smile all day long. Do you believe that? That's what faith is. Believing God about what he thinks about us more than we think about ourselves. Amen? That's what he does. So let's be reminded as we review our commission together again. I'm going to start a little ahead. Just remember that Jesus came 
and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he commissions us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. Bless you.